listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We're in a message called, a series called Little Things. And in this series, it's all about taking these little things that we a lot of times overlook, but those are the things that actually make the biggest impacts on our lives. And so um, the question for you today is simply this, how do you decide what you're going to do? Now, I don't mean what you're going to eat today, okay? Because if you live in Liberty and you want to go out to eat, you get Mexican or Chili's or Jack's. Take your pick, bro. Like, that's what you get. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not necessarily talking about those little micro decisions like that, but how do you decide what job to take? How do you decide how you and your wife or you and your spouse are going to raise your family? How do you decide whether or not to buy a car? How do you decide whether or not to buy a house? Like all of these decisions are big decisions. And some of y'all teenagers and younger, you're like, I ain't buying no car right now. You might want a car. Uh, talk to your parents. Um, but, but maybe how do I know if this is the best friend for me? How do I know if this is the right thing? Should I date somebody or not? Come on, teenagers. By the way, dating Jesus. Y'all better be dating Jesus. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, I see them little pictures y'all standing next to people that ain't Jesus. I love you. I love you. I'm just playing with y'all. I'm just playing. I'm serious. I'm just playing with y'all. But for real. Now, uh, but how do you decide? Psychology today says this. When making a decision, we form opinions and choose actions via mental processes which are influenced by biases, reason, emotions, and memories. The simple act of deciding supports the notion that we have free will. We weigh the benefits and costs of our choice, and then we cope with the consequences. Hey, that's a tough part right there, huh? Factors that limit the ability to make good decisions include missing or incomplete information, urgent deadlines, and limit, limited physical or emotional resources. Biases, reasons, uh, reason, emotions, and memories. That's how psychologists say we make decisions. Now, what's your initial reaction, reaction to that? When I first read it, I was like, I don't see Jesus nowhere. But my initial reaction wasn't good. I was like, I don't want to think that I make decisions based on my biases. So let's look at what these different things are. We're gonna, it's, I'm sorry, it's going to sound real schooly here at the front because we're going to talk some definitions, but we're going to get there. Bias. Is prejudice in favor of or against one thing, person or group, compared with another, usually in a way considered to be unfair? Y'all know anybody that's got bias, like maybe in the media? Okay, I'm not, I'm not supposed to talk about that. Okay. Reason. Reason is this. The power of the mind to think, understand, and form judgments by a process of logic. Okay. Um, a second definition of, 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 of bias is a systematic distortion of statistical results due to a factor not allowed for it in its derivation. What that means is this. You take reason and you throw it out the window due to factors that you can't foresee, which are your biases. Okay? Emotions. These are natural, instinctive states of mind deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationships with others. Memories. That which has been learned and retained through a person's previous interaction and experience. How many of you want to make important decisions in your life based off logic that processes through your biases, emotions, and memories? <laughs> well, guess what? That's exactly how psychologists say you make your decisions. What about you? How do you decide? We're going to talk about some Bible characters that had to decide. 
And um, what we're going to do is we're going to skip right over Adam and Eve, all right? Because I don't want anybody to throw hate at Adam and Eve, all right? Uh, uh, y'all know y'all would have bit the apple too, just let you know. Some of us wouldn't even have said hi to the snake, just like, give me the apple, all right? Let's talk about Moses then, all right? Moses was a Hebrew who was born in secret. He was hidden. He was sent down the Nile in a tar-pitched basket, only to be found by Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. He was raised in the Egyptian court. He only found out about his true heritage later on in life. He saw the Hebrews being mistreated, and everybody knows the story, right? He killed the guard that was mistreating the, the, uh, the Hebrew children, and he fled to the wilderness. Guess how old he was at that time? He was 40 years old when that happened. A lot of us don't realize. Y'all thinking he was like 18. Oh, he was just young. No, he was 40, man. 40. Guy had a, he had a 401k already. You know what I'm saying? 40 years of being an Egyptian. He was about 80 years old when he met God at the burning bush. <laughs> Let's go see what the bush is saying. You know, like, <laughs> right? Ooh. Bow before me. Oh, take an hour. Hold on. Wait a minute. You know, like, sorry. It's funny. It's funny till that happens to you. I know. I'm just playing. He was about 80, though, 80 years old. After this, he made a decision to go to Pharaoh and demand he let God's people go. Look, look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Look, the cry of my people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Now, you're already talking to a burning bush. Some of y'all would have seen a bush burning and be like, uh, not today, Satan, and just walked right off. You know what I'm saying? But some of y'all, I know y'all, y'all have been like, hmm, oh, jeez, what's, what's going on here? Like, it's a burning bush. Y'all have been curious. And that's why people die. You know what I'm saying? Like, but you know what? He, he, did, he did decide to go back to Egypt, but it didn't come without a fight. Look at Moses' protest, Exodus 3.11. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Israel, of, of, of Israel out of Egypt? Who are you? How about the dude that was raised in the court of Pharaoh? Like, who better than you, bruh? Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, Aaron ended up going with him? Aaron was a Hebrew, raised as a slave. You're, you're the best case scenario for this. Some of y'all know that God wants you to serve and do something, move the kingdom in some way, shape, or form, but even you say to God, well, who am I? No, you're the perfect candidate for this. That's why. But yeah, but my past experiences. Okay, bro, but guess what? God can fix all that. He can use all that. Yeah. What about Exodus 3.13? But Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? Again, he protests in Exodus 4.1. What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Yeah. Exodus 4.10, but Moses pleaded, Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Yeah. Finally, Exodus 4.13, Moses says, Please, Lord, send anyone else. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have ever told God that? Bias, reason, emotion, memory. He says, God, who am I? I? I'm not biased towards them. They're biased towards me. 
I'm a Hebrew and they hate the Hebrews. Why would you send me back to the same court where they are biased against who I really am? Oh, God, okay, okay, God, hold on. Think about this. Let's reason this out, Lord. They're going to want to know who sent me. What am I going to say to them? God, God, look, I'm not trying to get here emotional with you. I'm not trying to get all into my emotions. But they think I'm an Egyptian. I have no credibility with the people of Israel. They're, they're going to go nuts. They're going to call me a liar. They're going to demean me. Okay, but seriously, God, like I'm terrible at words. Like you made me, you should know this. Um, haven't you been watching me all these years? I am historically bad at what you're telling me to do. Plus, they're going to remember what I did when I killed that guard. Think they're just going to forget in 40 years? God, please send somebody else. Bias, reason, emotion, memories. Even all those years ago, psychologists were right that that's how he was deciding. Moses' inability to decide to follow God's plan led to the moment in history when God had to divide the two roles that were meant to be held together. That's king and priest. I have a whole other teaching on this. It's incredible. I, it's just I, God blew me away when he poured this out in me. But, but in 1 Peter 2 and 9, the Bible says, But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a royal priesthood that's the kingdom and the priesthood combined again and just like a son or daughter was our birthright king and priest was our calling and Moses refusal to obey God split the two now we saw that reunite for a moment with David we saw it reunite permanently through the person of Jesus Christ but here's my question what has your indecision cost you in terms of your calling what's it cost you what is your reason Your bias, your emotion, and your memory cost you when it comes to the kingdom. Moses tried to reason his way out of this, reason his way out of his purpose through his bias, emotion, and memory. What about Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Now, he didn't do everything perfectly, did he? He he lied a few times, but look look at how he decided to do things. Was Abraham biased? Here's what I tell you. No, he believed God. He, now, he tried to fix it on his own one time, and he, and, he, and he got Ishmael. But after that mess up, we have a record of faithfulness from Abraham. Now, why is that? Where do those biases come from? Well, they come from stereotypes about people based on the group to which they belong and or based on unchanging characteristics. So what bias did, God have toward, what bias did Abraham have towards God? It's very simple. Abraham knew God was faithful. And so when he was making a decision, when it came to something God told him, he told himself, my bias towards God is that he is faithful and that's it. So what he tells me to do, I'm going to do it because he is faithful. He told me to go to land that he would show me. I just walked out the door. He didn't even tell me what direction. I just started walking. I just started going. To do, I was just going to do whatever he told me to do. And some of us, that's where we're stopped. We're standing at the threshold of the home that God's told us to leave because we don't know where to go. God says, walk out the door and I will show you. I'm telling you, look in the Bible constantly, constantly, constantly. God does not move until you do. There's an old, old, 
um, um, a, a legend within the context of Judaism that says whenever Moses stood at the edge of the Red Sea and lifted up his arms, the Red Sea um, didn't do anything. Like it didn't, like Charlton Heston, no, it didn't do that. What they say happened is there's a guy, his name starts at the end, I can't remember it. But they said that he believed Moses and he walked into the water and it got to ankle deep and nothing happened. He got knee deep and nothing happened. He got waist deep and nothing happened. He got shoulder deep. Nothing happened. But when he got his neck to the edge of the water, miraculously the water split. And I'm going to tell you right now, whether it's true or not, the principle is that sometimes you've got to get in the water. God said he would part and he'll do it when you do it. He'll step into it when you're willing to step into it. He'll make a difference when you're willing to believe him. Was he emotional? Would you have been if you had to turn Ishmael away? Would you, would you be if you had to put Isaac on the altar? Listen, guys, I know it's terrifying to think of Abraham putting his son on the altar, but God asks us to put our Isaacs on the altar all the time. Those things that you hold the most precious. He says, I want that thing. And you think God wants you to take it away. God wants you to use it to bless you. God, if I give this to you, you're going to take it away from me. Maybe. But let me tell you something, guys. God has never taken something away that he doesn't replace with something exponentially better. Yes, he was emotional at times. Like when he lied. He was afraid the king would want his wife because she was beautiful. So Abe said, hey, yo, tell him I'm your brother because he's going to kill me if you don't. The lie almost did get him killed. But once he stopped all that lying mess, he stopped letting his emotions drive him. Like when God said, hey, I want you to know something. I'm about to kill Sodom and Gomorrah. Just letting you know. Well, well hold on. See, he didn't let his emotions. Oh, God, what are you <laughs> Now, he didn't do all that mess. He says, hold on a second. If, if there were 50, God's are fine, 50. What if there were 40? Got him all the way down to 10. Lot was saved because Abraham was unwilling to let his emotions dictate his reasoning. And so when he spoke to the Lord, he spoke to him in a way that says, I'm trusting you and not my emotion. Did he consider his memories? Sure. Like how God said, go to a place I'll show you. And God took care of him. Or how he lied twice and God protected him. Y'all realize that God went to the king in a dream and said, you are committing a sin. That's how God covered Abraham. Or how his wife was old and barren and she conceived still. Or how his nephew, was like, who was like a son to him, was doomed, but God spared him. Yeah, he considered his memories. God is faithful in every memory I have of him. So how did he decide and how does it compare to how Moses processed? Well, Moses did finally decide to do the right thing. But he had to overcome his bias, emotion, and memory so he could reason properly. Abraham did too. And listen to me, we do as well. We do as well. I want to make godly decisions, not just good decisions. I, I, I want to positively impact the kingdom of God. I want to build people. I don't want to tear them down. I want to help people get closer to Jesus, not further away from Jesus. I want my family to grow and develop. But I also want them to be provided for and safe. I want all those things. And I'm sure you want the same things in your own life and in your own family. But the truth is, we're going to have to adjust how we make decisions to see that happen. Yeah. Remember last week, potentially everything is eternal. Well, how can what you decide on a regular basis create godliness and growth in every area of your life? That's the question. 
And how you decide those things is today's little thing. So we need to adjust how we think. Now listen, if, if we're going to do this, there are two sides of that decision coin. And sometimes we need to do things to help us make better decisions. But we also need to stop doing some things that are hurting our decision making process. So remember, we're after godly decisions, not just good decisions. And trust me, it's a difference. There is a difference between a good decision and a godly decision. Good decisions can be good whenever they benefit you financially. But benefiting you financially doesn't necessarily mean it's a godly decision because that financial benefit might end up being a family deficit. You might get the job that makes you more money, but it takes you away from the thing that God put you in to begin with. Okay, so now we know what we're talking about. Let's start with some things we need to stop doing. Y'all know what sin stands for? Stop it now. All right, here we go. Let's stop it. Number one, don't let emotions decide for you. This is the hardest thing, and we're going to start with the hardest thing first, okay? Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. If you can't handle your emotions, forget the walls. You're broken down. I know some of y'all are calm and cool as a cucumber. I have a friend named Brad. You'd be like, hey, Brad, you know, the world's on fire. It's oh, terrible, man. Praying. God's going God's gonna, to God's gonna show up. <laughs> okay. Brad, you just won a million dollars. Praise God. He, he, he is where everything comes from. Brad, show me some emotion. That's who I am, man. Some of y'all, though, y'all said the world's on fire. Y'all be chicken little running around like crazy. Somebody said, y'all want a million dollars? Y'all be rolling up in a Bentley on tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Like, spent a a million and one dollars, you know? Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Listen to your heart. It is calling for you. Terrible advice. It's the worst advice in the world. Listen to your heart. No, don't do that. There's nothing else you can do. Yeah, there is. Like, don't listen to your heart. It's horrible. Your heart is driven by your emotions, and your emotions change with your environment. This is why people always tie emotions and happiness together. It's because you can be happy as a lark with a friend. You're having lunch. Everything's great. And all of a sudden, somebody that stabbed you in the back walked in, and you're just like... Like, you just immediately switch. Like, hey, I need to go to the restroom. And really what you're doing is you go over there to spit in their food as the waitress walks by. Like, that, so y'all ain't vindictive? Okay, good. See, that's growth. That's growth. Good, good for y'all. <coughs> Emotions are attached to memories. That's why you can get wigged out when you see somebody that you don't like. It's because you don't think about that person. You think about your experience with that person. And it brings up the emotions you felt when you were last with that person. You can drive past and see their name on a sign and start freaking out. I mean, my goodness, you can go, you can go nuts with it. Your emotions are attached to memories with that person. And those thoughts, based on those emotions, release chemicals that alter your satisfaction with what's going on around you. It's called dopamine. This is why environment is so important to a culture that teaches whatever makes you happy, just do that. That's what our culture teaches. That's why college campuses have safe zones. That's why you can't talk about some things at work. 
Um, it's why you get canceled if you speak out against anything that's woke. Come on, y'all. It's because people are more concerned with happiness than anything. Guys, remember, happiness is based on your circumstances, but joy comes from the Lord. That's why you can be full of joy, but not happy. When God has disciplined you, you ain't happy. <laughs> if you're happy when God's disciplining you, God bless you. You have reached a level that I have yet to reach. But I don't like it when I get disciplined. It doesn't make me happy, Jesus. But guess what? Jesus ain't here to make you happy. Okay? And anybody that's told you Christianity is about you being happy, I'm sorry, y'all, but they lied to you. It's a lie. When your emotions drive, a wreck is inevitable. Emotions do not produce godliness. Look at Galatians 5, and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these. See, these are res- the results of a spiritually driven person. But look at the byproducts of emotional responses to negative stimuli. Ready? Galatians 5, 19 through 20. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. <laughs> See, math is bad. Um, Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me put it into plain language here. What, what we're being told here by Paul to the Galatians is that when you are living by allowing your decisions, your, uh, your emotions to drive and to make your decisions, it means that you potentially will not inherit the kingdom of God because you're allowing something that is temporal and tied to what's going on around you decide for you. It's a bad way to live your life. You have to decide what results you want from your decisions. Emotionally driven decisions produce natural results, but spiritually driven decisions produce supernatural results. So how do I know if my decisions are driven by my emotion or not? Ask yourself this. Would the Holy Spirit be pleased with my results? Think about your last interaction with somebody that maybe wasn't the most positive interaction. Would the Holy Spirit be okay with how you handled yourself in that situation? That's how you know if you're being emotionally driven or spiritually driven. Okay, number two, don't let the natural decide for you. Don't let the natural decide for you. We talk briefly about being spirit-led, but, but sometimes it isn't what we aren't trying to, excuse me, but sometimes it isn't that we are trying to let the spirit lead, but rather we are too focused on the natural, on what we can see. So there's a story, the king of Aram um, was coming against Elisha, and he was mad because it seemed like everything that he planned, Elisha already knew about it. Well, it's because the Holy Spirit was telling Elisha what was up, keeping Israel safe. Well, when the king of Aram found out about this, he's like, all right, mount up, boys, we're going to go get him. All right, so they went, and they started the process of, of, they just camped around them, like armies camped around them. And when Elisha's servant saw it, he was wigging out. So one night, we see this in 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 14. Says, so one night the king of Aram sent a great army with chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? Y'all know what he said. Oh my God! That's what he said. The young man cried out to Elisha, don't be and Elisha said, Hey, don't be afraid, for there are more on our side than theirs. Then Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. 
one of the prayers you might need to be praying right now is, God, open my eyes to what I can't see. My mama used to pray that all the time when I was growing up because, you know, I'd be doing stuff on the side that I shouldn't be doing, and she would try to get the Holy Spirit to rat on me. And I want you all to know something. The Holy Spirit will rat you out right now. So if you're a teenager right now, listen to me. You better not hope your mama ain't praying, Holy Spirit, show me what I can't see, because he will. Jason, we need to have a meeting. Oh, Holy Spirit, what you done done now, bro? Sometimes we get so caught up with what's in front of us that we miss the miracle God is performing around us. Can you read it again? Sometimes we get so caught up with what's in front of us. Come on, the natural. That we miss the miracle God is performing around us. We get so caught up with, oh, we got to make that $205,000 up. Like, what are we going to do? God has already provided 89%. Be careful we don't miss the miracle because we're worried about the natural. Natural eyes see natural things, but there is a dimension of life that exists outside of what you see in the natural. And I'd argue that the realm beyond the natural is actually exponentially more important and real than the physical life we're living. Now, that's hard to accept sometimes because when we look around, we have natural things to deal with. Bills. Got bills? Come on, somebody. We got bills. Sometimes we got bills and we shouldn't have bills. Just let y'all know that. Just throwing it out to you. Let the Holy Spirit interact with you on that one. But we have bills. We got people to deal with. Family to deal with. Oh. Lord, help us with the family to deal with sometimes. We got money. We got politics. Don't y'all just wish that we could just, everybody just chill out with these politics, man. But if we're spirits with bodies, not bodies with spirits, then we have to do two things. Number one, realize that the spiritual always outweighs the natural. And then number two, realize that just because we're spirit driven doesn't mean that the natural doesn't matter. But listen to me. The natural has to submit to the spiritual. Come on, I'm talking to some people in here who need healing. The natural, I command you to submit to the spiritual in the name of Jesus. If you want decisions about your natural life to be godly, then you can't decide based on what's best for your natural life. You decide based on what's best for your spiritual life. Let me unpack that a little bit. So if you've got money issues, are you making spirit-led money decisions? Or are they emotional, fleshly-driven decisions? How come you get in your truck? Don't like the old one. What's wrong with the old one? Oh, nothing. It's just got a couple miles on it. Is it a genuine need or is it just instant gratification? Because, y'all, we're really bad at delayed gratification. We have microwaves. Y'all know that, right? I was thinking the other day, I got, I got like three microwaves just at my house right now. I only use one of them. Two of them in storage. Why I got microwaves in storage? I might need to cook something quick. What about relational issues? Are you more concerned with unity or justice? Are you more concerned about getting closer or getting even? Come on, y'all spouses. Know y'all fighting? Don't even look at them right now. Just look at me. I told you the preacher's going to talk to us. (laughs) Are you more concerned about genuine love or conditional love? She hadn't told me she loves me in a month. If you told her you love her. Maybe discover what her love language is. Because maybe you're spending quality time and all she wants is a gift. When you decide with your flesh, you can't be surprised when you don't get supernatural results, y'all. Remember the kingdom. Seek the first the kingdom. Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Thinking like this will make us reevaluate our motives. Make sure we are not being disobedient or rebellious. To tap into a higher level of living, that's a spiritual... 
and to keep what's going on in the natural in check. Listen to me, y'all. You have survived 100% of the issues you face until now. 100% of them. So what's going on in the natural is not the end of the world, but making decisions based on what you see in the natural is not the answer. Romans 8, 6. Let the Spirit control your minds, and that leads to life and peace. Y'all, it works for your decisions too. Spirit-led decisions that start with the Word of God. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you ain't reading the Word, how are you going to make a good decision? Okay, next one. Don't let history decide for you. When we let yesterday decide today, we suffer tomorrow. When we let yesterday decide for us today, we suffer tomorrow. Y'all, the past can be powerful. And a lot of times, it's because the trauma we experience and all that, we based our emotions all on that because they're all tied to those experiences. But because of this, we can easily allow what happened yesterday to make decisions for us today. And the result is that we potentially miss out on these God moments because we've allowed the past to stay a part of our present. Now, let me give a disclaimer right now. I'm not saying what happened to you in your past was okay and don't worry about it. Just let it go, man. I'm not saying that. I hope you let it go. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just being frivolous with what happened to you. I know it's harsh, but listen to me. Your past does not define you. It doesn't. Neither what was done to you, nor what you did. Hear me, y'all. You sinners out there. Welcome to the club. We're all sinners. But God doesn't look at us based on what we've done. Jesus doesn't look at our past and disqualifies us. He sees our past, but he chooses to focus on our potential in the kingdom. You want proof of that? Romans 5.8. Here's your proof. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. Listen to me. Jesus took a risk on you. And what he slid across the table in that poker match was his life. If you need more proof than that, you can't get better proof than that, that God looks at your potential. So if your past does not define you, it also doesn't get deciding privileges in your life either. Now, does that mean you blindly throw yourself back into situations? Oh, of course not. We don't cast our pearls before swine. Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. But it does mean being willing to forgive the past so you can make godly decisions in the future. Listen to me, y'all. Forgiving the past does not mean that what they did was okay. But it means that you're okay. Come on, y'all. Some of y'all, y'all want more than anything just to be okay. It doesn't come through a therapist. A therapist can help. It doesn't come through medication. Medication might help. But I tell you, if you want the spiritual to line up with the Lord and the natural to line up with your spirit, forgiveness. And if you don't have it in your heart to forgive, even Jesus says, hey, I got forgiveness in abundance. You can use mine. So here, how do, what, what does that look like in real life? You don't have to say, I forgive you. You have to say, person, Bill, I'm going to say Bill. Bill, in Christ I forgive you. Put Jesus on it. Let's see what happens. We'll give you a biblical example of this and we'll move on. Luke 5, Jesus told Peter, follow me. Peter did, but Jesus was at his arrest in his initial beating and Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus, y'all, Jesus looked at him. The Bible says, Rooster, whoop, whoop. Jesus looked and Peter saw him. And Peter was broken in a half over it. Fast forward to John 21. Jesus has arisen. 
Peter is still reeling for what happened. He doesn't know Jesus is arisen yet. He's like, you know what? Forget all this. Y'all. I'm going fishing. All right. I'm going, come on. I'm going back like a dog goes back to his vomit. I'm going back to the only thing I know. Jesus found him in the shoreline just like he did before. Man, that, I don't know, I got to move it, but that in and of itself is so powerful to me that even when we do things and go back to what we were doing, Jesus can still find us where he found us to begin with. My goodness, thank, thank you, God, that you don't give up on me. This time was a little different, though. It's because Jesus had a decision to make, y'all. Do I stick with Peter or not? My plan, was, my plan was to use him to build this church once I leave. Is he still my guy? Some of y'all are wondering that too. Does Jesus even want me anymore? Jesus had a good reason to abandon Peter. His bias, his emotion and memory would lead to a reasonable outcome of letting him go. He just can't handle it. But in John 21, 19, Jesus told him once more, follow me. And in those two little words, he he didn't just say, Peter, we're good. He said, hey, I still believe in you like I did the first day. I still love you like the first day. I'm still for you like the first day. And even though you left me, I will not leave you. Some of y'all need that more than you need your next breath today. And if that's you, breathe it in. Because it's the truth. God has no respect of persons. What he did with Peter, he'll do with you. Peter did follow Jesus. In his first message, thousands were saved. Peter was the leader of the church after Jesus ascended and arguably left the largest impact on Christianity other than Jesus and perhaps Paul. Peter made emotional decisions. But Jesus made godly decisions. Had he not, Peter would have missed out. But Jesus would have missed out on the Simon, the reed, becoming Peter, the rock. What have you missed out on by allowing your past to decide for you? All right, let's, we're done with the don'ts. Let's talk about a few do's and we'll call it a day. Do lean into your relationships. Do lean into your relationships. I love that two things turn Moses' decision around. First was Jesus. By the way, it was Jesus in the burning bush. If anybody's curious, there are multiple times in the Bible where Jesus appears in the Old Testament. A lot of times people go, what was Jesus doing in the Old Testament? He was just like in the green room, just getting ready to come on the scene. No, Jesus was active in the Old Testament. Who do you think was the fourth dude in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We threw him in the fire first. Who do you think it was? It was Jesus. Even Jesus was at the burning bush. Jesus was the king of Salem. Melchizedek. He was in the burning bush. And how do we know that? Well, it's because when he was talking to the Pharisees one day, they're like, who are you? Are you better than Moses? He says, look, bro, before Moses was, I am. What Jesus was saying is, your boy in the bush, woo. It'd have been awesome if he just went, and a bush would have started burning, like, say something. You know, like, come on. <laughs> uh, that'd have been awesome. But what happened was Moses encountered the power and majesty of God Almighty. This wasn't just head knowledge. Look, Moses knew about gods in Egypt. He knew all of them. He was raised in it. He knew about the God of the Hebrews. 
and all that data and all that information. But at the burning bush, he had a hard encounter. And some of us, y'all, we're making bad decisions, not because we don't know the information about Jesus. We don't know Jesus. Good decisions start with the good decision to follow Jesus. So the first thing you need to know is the further you are from Jesus, the worse your decisions get. I can't hear him. I don't know what he wants me to do. Let me give you a life hack. Stop asking for answers and start leaning into the relationship. Okay? No one wants to be a genie. And God doesn't want to be a genie either. He doesn't want us coming to him only when we need something any more than we want that from other people. Okay? So we've got to stop making him being a genie. So if you need to make a decision, don't go to God only for an answer. Go for the relationship. And don't like just wait around like, God, are we relationship enough? Because i got really got some problems. The second reason, though, was because of Aaron. Moses was terrified. Listen, he wasn't terrified to talk to Pharaoh. He was terrified to talk to the Hebrews. That's what he was afraid of. Remember, his memory of his last interaction with the Hebrew slaves was, what, are you going to kill us like you killed the guard? He was terrified of that. But God knew that, and God said, you know what? I'm going to send Aaron with you. If you notice in the text, Aaron never addresses Pharaoh. Okay? And even until the children of Israel get out of Egypt, Aaron never addresses the Israelites. What am I saying to you? It's amazing what God can do if he allows other people to come into your life. You will find the confidence you didn't know you had. And you'll find that you're walking out the very thing that you were terrified of before just because you got some people to help you. Come on, man. That's what the church is about, y'all. Let's link up and let's do this. Why do we think we can do everything on our own? The very best gift God gave to you is Jesus. The second was the Holy Spirit. But y'all, the third is people. There's never been a self-made man in the entire history of the world. And it's the same way. It takes a great team. If you want to have a good life, it takes a great team around you. If you want to decide well, it takes a team as well. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, people fail. But in abundance of counselors, there is safety. But listen to me, y'all. The only time we don't want counsel is when we know what the counsel is going to tell us and we don't want to hear it. And if that's the case, you're being led by your emotions anyway and have little chance of making a godly decision to begin with. Ooh, I ain't going to tell them. You know why? They're going to tell me what I don't want to hear. Sealed your fate. Even Jesus didn't isolate himself from relationships. He knew he needed people in his life to succeed. He knew he had to put his life in other people's hands. And, 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 and some of those people failed him. But even Jesus would rather have relationships and risk betrayal than to be a man alone. Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. What does that mean? That means bad decisions begin in our own bad desires. And people help you weed through that mess and make a good decision. That's why there's not a single decision about this building project that I'm doing without talking to people. So, lean into relationships. Now, the next one might sound contradictory. Do isolate for prayer. Preacher, you just said don't isolate. (laughs) Don't isolate from people. But you do need to isolate for prayer. Don't Don't isolate from the godly counsel of people. Remember, they love you. These are the people that you need in your life. They love you. They love God. They know you. They know God. And they have your best interests in mind. Okay? But there are times when you need to isolate. 
in, in Luke 6, we see Jesus. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12. Jesus, before he chose the 12, he went and prayed all night long by himself. He routinely would draw away early in the morning to go pray by himself. He would isolate for prayer. Now, that's interesting. Why would Jesus, who is God in the flesh, need to consult the Father before making a decision? Well, he just didn't know. <laughs> He's God. Of course he knew. So how do you work that out? Well, it's simple. Perhaps this is him giving us a model for how we should do it. That could be it. But more likely, Jesus was so connected with the Father that the whole night in prayer was less about the decision and more about the relationship. See, God is more concerned with who you are than what you do. That's how Jesus sees prayer. It isn't a duty. It's an opportunity for a relationship. It's the opportunity to lean into God. So I can assure you that Jesus knew who the 12 were going to be. He knew he was going to betray him. But Jesus was adamant that he didn't do anything unless the Father said it. We even see that. He, he says in John 14, I only do as the Father commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father. So one of the main reasons Jesus was so vocal and visible about interacting with his Father was because he wants you to understand the appropriate relationship between the Father and the son or daughter. Jesus wants you to see that the Father loves you so much that he's completely and totally invested in and con concerned with every single decision that you have to make, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter how minute. Listen to me. Your Father in heaven is concerned about when a sparrow falls dead to the ground. Every decision you make, God cares about. Last one is simply this. Do have faith. Now, while we need to have a relationship and, and, and not our requests as our focus with God, that doesn't mean that he wants us, that he doesn't want us to ask him for what we need. OK, even in Jesus model prayer, we ask him for our daily bread, for protection. But only after we've worshiped and praised and sought his will. OK, but faith is essential in this process. It's so essential in this process that we can get locked into what we need and miss the currency that those needs come through. That's faith. Too often, we get concerned by, uh, by a lack of clarity, but not concerned enough about the lack of faith that we have. We want Jesus to tell us the answer, but do we have the faith to receive the answer? Because let me tell you something. The decision might be one that you don't like. What are you going to do then? Talk him out of it? Moses at the burning bush? Well, 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 look, God, hold on. Let's talk about this. James 1, 5 through 7. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. For, and do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So as we wrap this up, let me just ask you this. How do we do this? How do we do this? Faith and prayer and relationships, tame your emotions, refuse to let history and what you naturally see influence you. How? Okay, let me break it down. Very simple. With faith, it's the same way you trust him for salvation. You make the commitment to give him that decision. You dive into prayer and you spend time with him. You dig into the word to know more about him. And when you feel the urge to decide before he's spoken, you confess he's Lord even over your decisions. With, when it comes to prayer, isolating for prayer, it includes reading the word. You do it to know him more, not to get your answer. 
okay? Remember, he's not a genie. We don't treat God as a genie and get mad when he doesn't answer immediately. I wrote this and it really landed in me. It hit me hard, but sometimes there are little things you learn in the waiting that make a bigger difference than the answer. Come on, y'all. Don't get mad at God when he doesn't answer in your time. You don't know what he's about to teach you that's going to change everything. With relationships, we cling to God even when we don't know what to do. We honor him by obeying him. And when it comes to others, we refuse to make any decisions alone. Household decisions should be made with your spouse. Now, you can go ahead and include your trusted friends in that, but never tell your friends something before you tell your spouse something. You are not one with your friends. You are one with your spouse. And the last thing you can do, or the worst thing you can do, is make your spouse doubt your connection with them because you've already made the decision with someone else. Y'all, I could make a case that that's adultery. Because what you're doing is you're giving to others what belongs to your spouse. And friends, remember that you're not Jesus. You can't demand they obey you, but you need to be as committed to giving godly counsel as they are to considering it. With your emotions, you can have them, but they can't have you. If you can't handle your emotions and they lead you to bad decisions, get help. You obviously can't fix it on your own. Get help. If you feel rejected or offended or angry or depressed or overlooked or on the verge of a meltdown, reach out. Your emotions are just going to continue leading you to decisions that feed their ravenous hunger. What about what you see naturally? Here's what you do. You choose to be led by the Spirit. How's that? You choose it. Even in that moment, when you feel the nature rising up, okay, I see this bill. I don't know what I'm going to do. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to lead and guide me. I'm asking you to give me wisdom right now. I'm asking you to show me what I can't see. I'm asking you to give me insight. I'm asking you to give me favor with the people that i got to talk to. That's how you do it. Lord of it all, not just the parts you want him to have. Seek his kingdom and you get his. Seek your castle and you get nothing. And lastly, with history. Hear me right now. You are not the sum total of what you have done or what others have done to you. They don't define you. Your father defines you. Yes, we all have a past. But Jesus never promised to fix your past. He promised you joy for today and peace for tomorrow. I don't want you all to look right now, but you have a decision to make. You have a decision to make. Are you going to trust him to lead, guide, and direct you or not? If you're not, it's going to take more than a 35, 40-minute sermon to help you. And what I would invite you to do, if that's where you are, no shade. This ain't easy. This might be a little thing, but it's not necessarily an easy thing. Here's what you do. Grab somebody that you think is succeeding where you're failing and go have coffee on Thursday. Send them a text message. Give them a call. Hey, can you help me with that? You seem to be succeeding in this. And they may go, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling just like you. Well, why don't y'all go talk about how y'all can struggle together and get over it together? Reach out. That's why you got family. Okay? But if you are ready to make the decision to let him lead God and direct you in every decision you make, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to bow your heads right now, close your eyes. 
And that just gives you the opportunity to focus on him and not the people around you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of everything right now that's on your decision docket. Every decision that you've got to make right now, spiritual, natural, all of it. I want you to create that spreadsheet in your mind. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say to him, I can't do this one for you. You've got to say it. Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and you are Lord of all of these decisions I have to make. I commit the decisions I have to make to you right now. I ask for your wisdom. I ask for your insight. I ask you to send people to help me. God, forgive me for being led by bias and emotion and memory. And I receive that forgiveness. But right now, I choose to be led by the Holy Spirit. And every decision I have to make now, and every decision I have to make going forward. In Jesus' mighty name. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and His people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.